This week on Ultra 64, let's talk about Gex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. There was really no other way I could open that. Oh, there, there was a I, lot of ways you could open No, there it. was no other way. There was no. I checked my files. There was literally no other way to talk about that. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ultra 64. We are the Internet's comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. Each and every week, we are playing a different randomly selected game from the Nintendo 64 catalog, and we are quipping at it and whipping at it with our tails. And my name is Steve Guntley, baby. Oh, no. I'm too young to have a second childhood. This is Woody Siskowski. Today we are talking about Gex 64 colon Enter the Gecko and do, Gex 3 colon Deep Cover Gecko. Do geckos have colons? Oh god, I you know if this if they did, I think this game would have had something Here. to say about let me, it. Let me let uh, me ask Jeeves real quick. Yeah, yeah, check with your Jeeves real quick. Yeah, the Gex series is uh is an interesting little uh very short platformer series. There were only 3 games ever released for it. And uh, it, it has kind of a reputation as being, like, the snarky platformer. Uh, and I don't know that that necessarily holds up I mean, it, it holds uh, up. It's definitely <laughs> snarky. There's definitely lots of comments are being made. I, I, felt, I felt a constant barrage of snark sort of yeah. washing over me until I was numb. Oh, God, it, it it gets to be a lot. I was trying to figure out the best way to summarize Gex's sense of humor in these games, and I, I think I can summarize it pretty succinctly. Two words, Michael Scott. Okay. I think Michael Scott from The Office would think this is the absolute funniest thing that's ever happened because it's nonstop 90s references, goofy voices, and just like random jokes pulled out of nowhere but like, i don't really have any kind of context i'm surprised like i was thinking about this there is definitely a lot of 90s references and just you know built on referential humor but there's a lot of much older references too which makes yeah. a lot of this aesthetic very bizarre like in the first level there's like a cheech and chong reference and then a jerry garcia reference and i think there's even a um what's the project ultra the mind control Oh, MK Ultra. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. an MK Ultra reference, and it's like, what kids are really excited about Jerry Garcia? That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it, it it's that kind of Gen X kind of humor. You know, it's the it's the generation raised on TV, and so now they kind of speak in these TV tropes. You know, which I think you and I kind of came in at the tail end of this. Ooh, like the we got it's the, tail tail end time. It yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're we're getting the we're we're getting the exhaust off of Generation X. So like. That that kind of a little bit permeated my childhood at least, but uh, it, I didn't. I don't necessarily have the fondness for these references that I think people of just a generation above us have. Like I have no affection for Cheech and Chong. I have no <laughs> affection for Green Acres or the Brady Bunch. Like I don't care. I, uh, I, I guess my other issue is it's just a weird. Like I, I don't know the demographic that they're trying to appeal to. Like there's also I. He's constantly repeating lines about tail. Like yeah. whether or not it's tail time, and there's a line. He's, a, I think it's a little tongue now, a lot of tail later. Yeah, which is a very oh explicit God. line. Um, yeah, he has it, another one where he says he's licking his way to the top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, who 
this game is clearly like the target demo seems to be younger because he's a cartoon gecko, but these lines also seem to be reaching for something else. And I remember playing these games, at least the Gek 64, a decent amount when I okay. was and thinking that this game was very funny when I was younger. Really? I, okay. I'm sure okay. I irritatingly quoted it. Um, and I, that I has not th- worn as well. The thing that most amazed me going back and listening to this was like the, the sudden realization that there was a time that Austin Powers was like the hip underground thing. Like making references to Austin Powers was like the cool edgy thing to do because that first movie was kind of a flop, you know, but the people who saw it like really liked it. <laughs> And, like, we, we kind of, we're catching a lot of that in these games because I think the single greatest touch point we come back to in these games is Austin Powers. Yeah. But, you know what? We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Let's talk a little bit about Gex as a series, as a character. Uh, this The two games that we're playing today are actually the second and third games in the Gex trilogy. The first one was released in April of 1995, and it was one of the highest profile exclusives for the great, absolutely (laughs) flawless, wonderful, perfect system, the Panasonic 3DO, which we all have in our houses, as is mandatory, uh, initiated by Trip Hawkins, our president and overlord. Yes. So Plumbers Don't Wear Ties is the national game of the U.S., Absolutely, absolutely. Everyone stands and salutes Road Rash every day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and Gex is our country. He's replaced the bald eagle. Exactly. Yeah, he's just the majestic bald gecko. Uh, so the character was created by a programmer named Lyle Hall, who originally pitched an idea about an extreme lizard movie stuntman called <laughs> Gecko X. Uh, but before long, the co- concept was revamped so that 3DO could potentially co-opt uh, uh, Gex as a mascot. And the story was irreverent and self-aware and very, very 90s. So Gex is this wisecracking lizard who spends his days in Maui glued to his TV. He's just obsessed with TV until one day an evil warlord named Rez sucks him into the media dimension which exists inside Gex's TV. And each level was a different play on a different television trope. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I think what really made Gex stand out in 1995 was, and this this was a 2D side-scroller back then, so this is kind of even more unusual, uh, but it was fully voiced. Uh, it, it was. Uh, it has a fully voiced, sarcastic character who's constantly talking. It was written and voiced by a Gen X comedian named Dana Gould, who I'm going to go into more information about in a moment. Uh, and the character speaks in kind of a nonstop barrage of just pop culture references while using his little lizard abilities to scale walls and whack things and collect things. Uh, critics and audiences both liked the game when it came out. Uh, mm-hmm. For a while, it looked like Gex might be enough to be a system mover. Um, the game is the best-selling title on the 3DO. It has more than a million units sold, which is pretty impressive considering only 2 million units of the 3DO were sold overall. Yeah, so half, so of, half of all people. Uh, that's pretty impressive. And uh, the title sold well enough that they earned ports on the PS1 and the Saturn later in 1995, which uh, were not big enough. But they were not big hits themselves, but it was enough to keep the series going. Now, have you ever played the original Gex? I did, and I played it on my 3DO. Like nice. I was one of those people. I, I bought a used 3DO several years after. I did not spring for $700 to buy a 3DO. I believe new. I rented a 3DO from our local video store, and I grew up in a, I grew up in a very small town, and I yeah. cannot imagine that they rented enough the 3DO out enough times to justify the cost that I'm sure they had spent on it. Oh, God. I mean, you think they would have just like given it to you at that point. You're the <laughs> well, one no, person I mean, who I, asked I, about it. I rented it. it when it came out. Okay, so think, yeah. Yeah, I think I got, like, was Blasto on the 3DO? 
feel like no, I... I think Blasto was on PS One. Oh, okay, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think... remember playing Gex on 3DO. I've only played a handful of games on 3DO, but I actually really liked the original Gex. I think yeah. it's it's a pretty solid little platformer. It, uh, it, it is looks a very nice. fun platformer. The the cartoon worlds look nice. I mean, everything has a lot of personality. And um, that's the voice samples sound really good. And that's something that I think happened to a lot of games once they sort of transitioned into 3D is they lost a lot of that personality. There's just so much more detail and like just sort of random color you can put in the background. So like if you compare the cartoon world of the 2D Gex to the first level of Gex 64, it looks so much better better oh my god infinitely better infinitely better yeah no it was a it was a fun little one like i'd say it's worth checking out and it it, gex was kind of on the way to being something a little bigger like for several years he was actually the mascot for crystal dynamics so like anytime you would see a crystal dynamics logo in a game you've seen gex you know he's the uh the smug lizard with sunglasses barely covering his eyes what good are those sunglasses anyway let's talk about dana gould a little bit because i think he's a very fascinating figure um, are you still there? I am. Yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah, I, ha- I, I had no opinion on Dana Gould yet. I was I was no, nodding no. approvingly, like let's let's talk about Dana Gould, and then <laughs> I realized it didn't work. Also, I saw a bunch of people walk by my window, and I'm pretty sure they were all just catching Pokemans. Oh, awesome! I, well, good luck to all of them. Uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, so Gex is voiced by comedian and writer Dana Gould, who also wrote most of the characters' dialogue along with his writing partner Rob Cohen. So Gould, uh, if you're if you're kind of a comedy or a podcast nerd, it's probably ringing a few bells right now. I'm sure you've heard of him at this, this point. Um, he's kind of a low-key, like, he's like a well-respected comedian. He doesn't have, like, the most prolific output, but he's very well-respected. He kind of came up in the, the Boston comedy scene of the late 80s and early 90s, which is the same as Leary and Janine Garofalo and David Cross. Lots of really big names came out of that Boston scene. Uh, he has been a longtime writing partner and collaborator with Bobcat Goldthwait, who is another person who came out of that scene. And uh, he's probably best known for being a staff writer on The Simpsons for about four years. He was, uh, I think it was seasons 14 through 18. Oh, beloved uh, seasons. You know, he wrote a couple of okay episodes in there. I think his first episode was Homer the Mo, which... Uh, oh, yeah, which I remember that episode. With I R- enjoy that R- one. M. That one's pretty good. He wrote the uh, he wrote the the Evita parody. Uh, oh yeah, the that's Wears one of Pearls. the high, better regarded ones from those seasons. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's written a couple of good ones. Um, he's kind of like a, a fellow who never quite made a huge name for himself, but kind of has his hands in everywhere. Yeah, like he's just got lots of connections. If you were really wanted to be like elitist about it, you could probably play like eight degrees to six degrees of Dana Gould pretty easily. Yeah, he's kind of like a like a Scott Ackerman kind of figure who who's uh, he's he's kind of become like a springboard for a lot of people, and he he gets looped into a lot of projects, but he's not necessarily you know back in the '90s. I know he had a bit of a reputation for being a little prickly, a little difficult to work with. Uh, I I I might be misquoting this story, but I remember hearing him on a podcast talking about getting fired from two different shows called the Dana Gould Show. Uh, which is pretty <laughs> difficult to do. So, uh, you know, so he uh, apparently he seems like he's mellowed out a lot in recent years. But uh, yeah, Gex so most is not mellowed out. Gex remains as extreme and irreverent as ever. Exactly. Uh, I think the most recent thing that Gould did was he was the creator of a show called Stan Against Evil on the IFC network, which ran for three seasons. Uh, I never watched it. I heard it was pretty funny. John C. McGinley and uh, Janet Varney, pretty good cast. 
and he has three kids with a former HBO president, Sue Nagel. Uh, they are divorced now, but uh, yeah, so that's Dana Gould. You probably hear him on podcasts a lot. He pops up in a lot of movies. He's in The Aristocrats, if, if you've watched that movie. Uh, he, he pops up around. He's an influential guy, but kind of a behind-the-scenes guy for the most part. All right, let's jump into this first game here. Gex 64, Enter the Gecko, released August 31st, 1998. This was developed by Crystal Dynamics and published by Midway, and it was also released on PlayStation, Game Boy Color, and Windows. So uh, Midway picked up the rights uh, to develop on the N64. Uh, IDOS covers it on all the other platforms. Midway and- Midway on the N64 is just prolific. Like last episode, we talked about Body Harvest and how Nintendo had dropped the development on that and Midway picked it up. They were kind of just like scavengers around, like anything they could sort of pick up to publish, they were Yeah, on. yeah, totally. And uh, this is... Not one of their stronger efforts, no. I don't think. Uh, but this is the first game to transition Gex from 2D to 3D. Uh, but rather than using polygons, they built a highly articulated skeleton and then kind of stretched a, a digital skin over it. So I think they knew that Gex is going to be a character that's talking a lot, so they wanted the mouth movements to look more natural. So that's kind of the whole reason for developing it that way. It's kind of one single piece rather than a bunch of little pieces. Um, and uh, uh, Gould returned for this game, once again bringing along his uh, friend and current Simpsons writer, uh, Rob Cohen, to uh, write some of the dialogue. And apparently Gould recorded as many as 700 one-liners for the PS1 version of this game, which is insane. Uh, the, the Nintendo 64 had to cut 500 of those quips to yeah. make it work, but that's still nearly 200 one-liners that... Uh, are being delivered through a Nintendo 64 cartridge, which is pretty crazy. I will say, like, the the disclaimer here is, I have a feeling we're both going to rag on this game pretty hard. Yeah. And um, this is really an instance where the port makes a big difference. Um, I was playing this game on the PS1 a little bit. Mm-hmm. It is much, much, much better on the PS1. It seems very much designed for that system, and then kind of an afterthought as the port. Like, the graphics are much better. There's... So many more of his voice samples are in the game, which we will talk about in a second, why that yeah. matters. Yeah, yeah And yeah. Um, the draw distance is better. in the whole thing just feel and the frame rate is better. So it's just a much more pleasant experience. It, yeah, so I'm just gonna say that as the disclaimer for and i've I've read that a lot of places that like this is kind of an un, an underrated like gem on the p s one. But I'm not going to say that uh, about the N64 no. version so much. And, and uh, yeah, this the structure here really apes Mario 64. Like, yeah, it, it's it's very open. Like you start in sort of this just sort of abstract hub world. Like one of the okay, yeah, this is something that threw me off right at the get go because we don't get any kind of intro nope. or, well, it's or cut. story. There was one in the PS1 version. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the N64 players just get dropped into the action. You don't know who Gex is or what his goals are or what's going on so or why. Basically, you're in this weird hub. the story of this game, not that not that the N64 version tells you at all, no. but um, is again just like the first game. Gex is sitting on his couch, flipping through the TV channels, and these government agents come up and they say hey rex is that the name of rez or is it rex rez rez Rez, okay and rez is just like i don't know just sort of a sharp machine guy who breathes fire he kind of looks like uh what's he kind of looks like a sharpedo you know the pokemon sure he kind of looks like a metal sharpedo or like a king k rule who has a bunch of armor on him 
Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Can rule those. without the lizard parts? Terribly distinct. <laughs> these, these all sound like cool descriptions, but he's not terribly distinctive. He's kind of just fish-like. No, and it's weird that he's the villain in all yeah. three of these games. Um, but anyway, these government agents came, and they say, hey, Rez is back, and he's in the media dimension. We need you to go fight him. Gex says, no, I'm not going to fight him, and then they offer him a bunch of money, yeah. and he says, okay. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you're dropped into this hub world, and just right from the get-go, you this is kind of the sense of, like, yeah, huh? <laughs> and I think a lot of that is uh, due to the fact that it's just sort of a white it's void. It's so foggy, and, like, it, it, it looks like a marbleized hallway, kind of, but, like, you're not really given any kind of context of what this is. It clearly does not appear to be inside a building. You're, like, floating in the clouds or something. No. Yeah, in the PS1 game, you can see, like, mountain peaks out in okay, the Okay, so you are supposed to be out so in the clouds. Does... Like, you, you are, like, in some kind of secret hovering fortress or something. Yeah, exactly. But, again, yeah, it is very odd. And then sort of at the corners here, there's um, these mm-hmm. TVs with big buttons on them. And you can step on one of these and just the same – and then you get pulled in just like you would in a Mario 64 painting. And you get three different sort of vi- – I was going to say vague, no, but they're, they're not that vague. Like, one of them is whack five purple yeah. mushrooms, and you're like, okay, sure. I can figure that out. Um, and then you go, and you can get you can get these golden remotes, which are your stars. Everything has to be gold. Um, and get the golden remotes, which are your stars, in any, in any order. You don't have to complete the one that right. you're going for at that time. Uh, and, yeah, your first level is uh, Cartoon World, uh, Gex constantly remarks how he feels that he is trapped inside of boy george's pants oh, oh he was saying pants i thought he was saying pad but that makes more sense too and uh oh my god just the late i mean well i don't it? know i guess neither of them really makes sense but like i think he's going for some kind of homophobic joke there and uh in the pants would make it more homophobic i guess yeah so i i think you're immediately this game gave me a headache like i think th- this game is I don't think this is the worst game that we played. I don't think this is even the worst platformer that we played. I do think this might be the one that annoyed me the most. Like, every decision and everything about this game really got under my skin. It just seemed designed to give me a headache. It was like, we have the juddering camera, and we have... Oh, God, so Ooh, bad. The and camera like, was All awful. the fog and the draw distance and the constant quips that are, like, lo-fi, but, like, you actually don't really want to hear them more clearly because you know they're stupid. <laughs> And, like, the the gameplay is really kind of clumsy, and it's just, like, it, it's just all over the place. And yeah, it was just driving I mean, me this, nuts. This game is built on quips. Like you said, like, the design of Gex was so that they could give him a moving mouth. And, like, that's, like, the, the major feature of this game, and they're just so irritating. And I think the problem... There's, there's a lot of problems oh, with yeah, them. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think the major one is there's too few of them, and I think that's due to the port job yeah. you know if they cut out you know two-thirds of the quips yeah and he says them so much so like this cartoon world you're gonna have about four maybe five different things that he says paging cheech and, and or chong yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, i just want the bathroom and the gift shop yeah yeah and yeah. he says them seemingly every so he says a new thing maybe every one two minutes i don't know how it's designed yeah but so you're going to cycle through that so quick and it, it's already intrinsically like bizarre because I don't know if sort of Gex is differently neurologically abled, mm. but 
it's so unclear like who these quips are meant for yeah like i don't know if these are internal monologues or if he i mean this game seems to be kind of like self-aware you know so like it could be he's talking to us as gamers or something like I, I don't really know, but they're completely devoid of context. Like, right? It's it's like somebody just kind of took copied their joke notebook into a game and like. But they're not even jokes. They're not even like, no. Most say, of them. Aren't. I was just looking for the gift shop in the bathroom. It, it, it I, and then you know say it again two minutes later. You're like, who are you talking to? There's there's a spot right at the beginning when Gex is sort of teleported into the world. Well, her he'll, he'll turn around and look at you. Yeah. and say something. And, like, if they turned around and looked at you and said, oh, I feel like I'm trapped in Boy George's pants, mm. and then sort of resumed the level, it would make sense. Like, I would forgive it even if he said that every time you went into the level. Yeah. It would still be annoying, but I'm like, okay, I get why he's saying this. But it just seems to be kind of like on a random timer. It's just every 30 seconds, recycle one of the new five quips that you have per level. And then he's got a different set of quips for when he gets hurt and a different set of quips for when he kills somebody. But, like, it's the same well, couple every five, time. Yeah, and at least five of these quips are Austin Powers references. At least five. Oh, God. The the one that made me cringe the most. I can't remember if it's this game or the next game. But it's uh, uh, show me the money, baby. So oh. mashing up two movies, first of all, that don't have anything to do with each other, taking two catchphrases that don't work together and just smashing them together for no reason. And why why I, I, I mean if congratulations game, game out, you have proven that you've watched jerry Maguire and austin powers here's your medal you know i, I don't know this what to game do with this. wishes that borat was out at this time. oh my god it would have been all over that oh my god yeah seriously i feel like they're gonna make a reboot now just to get on the borat train 10 years late uh yeah i mean so you your abilities are pretty basic you can have a basic jump if you press and hold a while you're in the air you get a little springtail it doesn't give you much more of a boost and it's kind of a pain in the ass to use i think they were kind of going for like a scrooge mcduck and ducktales sort of bouncy pogo thing but it doesn't work it's not much fun to use i i, I liked that mechanic okay i wish yeah i wish it was more responsive i wish you could just hold down the button yeah instead of having to press it every time you jumped yeah 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 and i wish it did give you more height yeah exactly it feels like you were always just like slightly too short it was i was also not clear like which ledges you can catch on to and which ones you don't because it seems kind of yeah. hit or miss and I was also clear, like, he's got this cool, like, wall walking mechanic, but I don't, I never really knew what walls I could walk on. Like, yeah, there's some, I mean, they're usually pretty obvious. They're just, like, totally discolored walls with, like, a very, like, they're just a clear line of blue bricks. Oh, is that And then it? there's okay. a little, then there's a little, well, it changes per level, but then there's a little question mark by them. And if you whack it, it says, you could walk on some walls. And you're like, I can figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> I can put one and two together. And then your basic attack, um, Gex spins around and whacks things with his tail and constantly says it's tail time. It's tail time or you know, like the, boy. something about getting tail. Uh, I did yeah. like that he's got a little flying karate kick, but there really wasn't much opportunity or need to use it. Well, it can work as a long jump, like yeah. similar to in Mario 64. Yeah, and that's that's a little useful there. Um, you also collect a couple of different kinds of flies, which are inexplicably stuck in TV screens. So you whack them with yep. your tail, flies come out, and then you tap the R button in this one to uh, zap your tongue. They switch the triggers on the second game. So this in the second I game... I know, that drove me nuts. I know. The second game, like, why is R crouch? And then I went into the tutorial, and the guy's like, you can hold all... You can hold... 
you can crouch and then jump to do a long jump. And I didn't know how to crouch. And I'm like, tell me how to crouch. Don't just say I can do it. And I actually felt it worked a little better in Gex 64 than it did in 3. I don't know. Maybe it's just the, yeah, the, the Z, Z button. the Z button should always be crouch. Yeah, like, yeah. If you're playing a shooter, the Z button should be fire. And if you're playing a... Yeah, and if you're playing a platformer, the Z button should be crouch. And here's a weird design choice that they made, and I don't really understand the logic behind it. Each level has three different varieties of collectibles, but it's not yes, like they're this three. Is so bizarre. It's not three at a time. They cycle. So, like, say you're in the the horror themed level. Okay, the first thing you're going to pick up is like gravestones. And yeah, you pick up thirty gravestones, and then Gex does a little celebration, and you get an extra life. Yeah, and then. Every every gravestone that you didn't catch suddenly turns into like a hockey mask. So now you have to collect 40 of these hockey masks and you get another one. And then when you do that, they're all like ghosts now. And now you have to collect 40 of those. And it, it's just, it's like a weird disc. I, I, I don't really understand the logic behind having three different it's collectibles like that are all the same collectible. They couldn't come into agreement at the board meeting. Yeah. Like, oh, I think the horror level should have hockey masks to pick up. I think that it should have Boy George's pants. Yeah, yeah. Just I'm, I'm going to say George's that a pants. lot to get everyone in the spirit of how irritating it is. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you should just occasionally repeat a quip every once in a while. Yeah, just to exactly. Shout it out. Yeah, it, it, I don't really understand the logic behind that. And it doesn't seem to matter terribly because there are so many of these items. And like every time you kill an enemy, they drop three of these items and then they're scattered all over the level. So you're going to well exceed your quota. Like you, I mean, I think they're, they're essentially the equivalent of coins in Mario 64. I imagine if you get all of them in the level, you get an extra remote or something. Or you yeah. unlock the bonus level you get, as an extra remote. Exactly, yeah. You get a silver remote for getting them all, and that unlocks the bonus level that you won't want to play. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that was just kind of a weird design choice. And I, I agree. I, I feel like they were just flinging everything at the wall like a, like a lizard with sticky feet. And just seeing yeah. what would stick. And there's not really a whole lot of cohesion here. And I, I, this might be asking too much for a game in 1998. But I feel like the, the humor is not rooted in any kind of... I feel like there's the potential for a funny idea here. Like, you know, they, we have lots of characters that are kind of... Their, their whole education, their whole personality is shaped by pop culture and their obsession with pop culture. Like yeah. your, your Philip J. Fries and what have you. Like, I think you can really do something interesting with that and have some kind of commentary about media consumption that just isn't really here. Like, well, I think the problem is the uh, this is such a lonely game. Like, Gex is just in this weird abstract world, and he goes into these other worlds, but you never meet any characters. Yeah, in these worlds, like this game reminds me a lot. I think it's of a pretty comparable quality to Earthworm Jim 3D. Yeah. Um, but that game, like you sort of like the first world of that, you were like in a barnyard and you met like this cow general who is in a war with the chickens. Yeah. And so that sort of made things hang together a lot better. Yeah. And so like Jim's quippiness kind of had a place, whereas this, he's just kind of out quipping to no one. And it's a very sort of sad, I feel like I'm trapped inside Boy George's pants type of existence. You know? <laughs> it is. It is. It's a horrible existence being trapped in those pants. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think uh, it, it's just... I mean, and then again, the, the second the second game, or I guess it's the third game, but it's yeah. the second game we talk about here, um, 
does address a lot of these concerns. It does it in kind of a gross way. Yeah. <laughs> but it, well, at least that, it gives him another person to interact with. That's a good enough segue. Uh, let, let's, well, I don't, or, I don't want to quite move there Oh, yet. yeah. Okay, just, what do you got? Because um, I just... I want to emphasize how shitty the camera is in this oh game. Oh, my God. Yeah, we really need to drive this home because this is something <laughs> yeah. that isn't as much of an issue in the next one. But yeah. this game gives you three options uh, for camera control. You can either have Wait, it. Wait, GEC 64 does? GEC 64 does, yeah. So you have. Oh, I didn't realize this had camera control as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So GEC 64 okay. gives you three options. You can either set it to uh, manual, which I heartily recommend. That's the best way to do it. And that's where you're just going to control it with your C buttons. But I, I did that, and it still moved so much. Oh, it's still terrible, but it's the best of the three options. Because, like, the second oh, one is, oh like, automatic. God. And then that's just automatically, like, it, it's kind of like the camera's almost mounted to your tail. So it's always swishing, like, trying oh. to stay right behind you. I mean, similar to the beat, the Transformer, this is, this is another list, game on the list, which is actually a longer list than I care to admit, mm. of games that made me physically sick. Yeah. Like, I had to go lay down after playing this game I and, like, hold in vomit. I had a similar experience with this. I'm like, not, I'm not exaggerating. Like... I, I mean, I, I really did get, like, a splitting headache playing this, like, just looking at it. And uh, that's bad. That's really bad if you're getting a, a nasty, like, physical response to a game like oh. this. And that's entirely the fault of the camera. The third option is, like, they call it a semi-automatic. So you can – it follows you, like, in that horrible waggling way, but you have a little bit of control over it. And that's the worst of the three because it's, like – it gives you just enough control to make you realize how helpless you are like you you can't really like you, you really can't control much of anything so the manual is the best way to do it but it's also horrible and i and what i just i want to get in all the all the jabs i can here um like the third or fourth level of this game or i think the first boss of this game is just like tiki cannibals yeah sort of out of nowhere who are going to drop they have like tiki masks and they're dancing around and going ooga booga mm. they're going to drop you in their big pot and like come on like at least banjo kazooie like did it in a way that was sort of original and fun yeah but like this seems pretty lame and then th your third level is uh kung fu town oh boy and, and you are gonna yeah. get a whole lot of uh ching chong miraiki very much uh horrible yep. offensive benny hill accents like it's... you get to you get to hit gongs Ugh. yeah dana gould very much leans into those quips with the voice and your first pickup is chinese takeout oh, God. so i mean it's not like it's not necessarily offensive because it's all just very dumb but it, it's hard to be very engaged by it. Go play Mystical Ninja. Yeah, yeah. If, if, <laughs> much, yeah, if you want something cool. that's like kind of reverential and like respectful of Asian culture, don't play. But still don't like play... having fun with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But but don't play this or Clay Fighter because uh, neither of those are going to do you well. Oh, yeah. No, that was and... one other reference I wanted to bring out and just see. I wanted to dissect it a little bit. Okay. In the, in the Haunted House level, one of his repeated quips was, never take career advice from Joe Piscopo. And I just was really confused about why that quip was being used in this level. Like <laughs> I, I have, I, I got no explanation for you, my friend. My, the only, okay, the only minor bit of context I can think of is that Joe Piscopo was in this movie called Dead Heat, which was like a comedy about a, a, a cop that partners up with a zombie, and it was like a big financial failure. So maybe, maybe he was expecting us to remember that, like. I don't, I, I have no idea. It just, I think that's one of, I, I just highlighted that as an example of like how random these are and how irritating and just, I don't know. Ugh, ugh. 
Yeah. Um, it's funny that I learned about the differences in this game at the. This is this is file this under the pages on the internet that you are surprised exist. Yeah. Um, on the Gex speedrun wiki. Oh yeah. Like it, it didn't surprise <laughs> me that there was a Gex wiki. No. But it did surprise me of like that there was a speed run specific to speed running wiki and like all the spots where you could cut out time of your run. And it's like, wow, I can't believe that this is the game that people have decided they want to speed run. It's crazy. Huh? This one and uh, Elmo's number adventure are kind of the two yeah. most surprising uh, speed run ones. And one more thing. Um, the music here is also very bland. I, I would describe it as, you know how Banjo-Kazooie kind of has a lot of little flourishes? Yeah. Like if you're in the monster level, um, there's kind of like grunts and oogas. Yeah. And if you're in the um, tropical level, there's like light flutes and things like that. This is kind of like all those flourishes without any melody yeah. put behind it. And it's all kind of at the same time. Like it's all just like overlaid. So it's it's just white noise most of the time. Like you you kind of are you, you kind of long for the unobtrusive music that isn't gonna like offend you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Especially in the cartoon level. I just had to walk away from it. Um, yeah, the cartoon level, like I I like the idea of starting with the cartoon level since it's bright and colorful, but it is one of the more annoying levels right from the start. Yeah. Alright, let's jump on All to right, we, uh, yeah, we can move on. Gex three, deep cover gecko. This one was released September twenty eighth, nineteen ninety nine, so a little over a year later. It was released, uh, developed by Crystal Dynamics once again, but this time published by Crave Entertainment, and it was also released on PlayStation and Game Boy Color. So uh, Crave Entertainment is the studio best known for low-budget titles like Milo's Astro Lanes, so I was immediately uh, on edge about this game, but they, they kind of <laughs> surprised me a little bit. The cover here uh, randomly shows Gex dressed like Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, so that's just kind of an indication of how, permeant, like, how, how permeating wrestling was at the time. Uh, Gould is once again back reprising his role as Gex, but over in the UK, they got a different voice, and it was Danny John Jules, who uh, uber dorks like me might know as Cat from Red Dwarf. Uh, so yeah, if you ever watch Red Dwarf, you want to hear that. All right, the big thing I want to talk about with this game is the FMV sequences, because, yeah. oh my god, that happens on a Nintendo 64 game. Um, okay, so if you've ever played or seen or read about the 2006 Sonic the Hedgehog game... Uh, you'll know that that game's pretty controversial for a lot of reasons, but one of them is uh, for that game heavily implies that there's like a romantic, possibly sexual relationship between the hedgehog Sonic and the human princess. Okay. Well, uh, Gex 3 has beat them to that trope by several years, uh, and it's made all the more creepy by the fact that Gex's paramour in this game is a real life human woman. <laughs> so in this game, uh, Gex has to rescue the beautiful Agent Extra, who is played by a former Playboy playmate and a uh, short-time Baywatch cast member named Ar Marlise Andrada. Uh, and she appears in full-motion video sequences wearing a very revealing, like, spy cat suit, I guess. Right. Uh, so the promotional material for this game really, really played up this element. She's actually on the cover of the PS1 version, but not the uh, N64. I think the N64 version, um, I don't think that this port is as bad as the other, as the Enter the Gecko. Yeah. But I think sort of the major changes that they've done here is they've really toned down the, you know, Agent Extra's role. Yeah. Um, it, but it's still fairly explicit especially for an n64 game it's kind of amazing uh like there was a lot of promotional material coming out like 
there's the famous picture i think of uh janet jackson she's like yeah. uh, nude and there's a man covering her breasts and like they did that with marlisa andrada and gex like gex's little lizard hands is on this naked woman and again it's like who the hell are they advertising this game to <laughs> like i really <laughs> don't know i mean i think it's trying to be an edgier platformer but yeah, and apparently I, I looked ahead to the ending of this game and I watched the cutscenes on the PlayStation. Uh, yeah. This game ends with a pretty unambiguous sex scene between Gex and I, Agent That's Extra. not in the N64 version. No, no, no. It's in the PlayStation version. Uh, so lo- look up the cutscenes from that if you want to see what I'm talking about. But like, he rescues Agent Extra and then she's lounging around in lingerie in their hotel room and then he turns off the lights and you hear, oh, Gex. And it's like what the fuck are we doing here people like we we didn't even stop to think about this uh all that being said it's pretty amazing that there's any fmv in this game at all like has this happened on the n64 can i can't think of any other examples where we've had this sustained level of like full motion video in the game i mean it's a yeah you're, you're right i i it, it caught me by surprise as well i i don't have any Maybe in some golf game there was like FMV. Oh, it could be. But I'm not sure if the Command and Conquer or in like on, on the uh, casino game, something like that. Something. Um, yeah, but I, like, I feel like yeah, we've seen it, get, but it was in a much more limited capacity than it is here. Like, there's quite a bit she, of FMV. Yeah, she gets kidnapped at the beginning of the game, and then she sort of you're you have like a bat cave style hub world here. Yeah. Even it, again, it's a weird amalgam of things because it's sort of the main aesthetic seems to be you're like an international super spy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's sort of that's right where they pop off at the beginning. They're like international super spy Gex and his partner Agent Extra. Mm. Um, but then it's like a that's leaning into a Batman thing. You even have a butler named yeah. Alfred who's like helping you now. Yeah. And so she pops up on your sort of bat tv and says like help me gex and then you make a and that's where the fmv is and then you make a bunch of inappropriate comments Mm -hmm. sort of not taking the situation seriously at all that's what you want right when your girlfriend is captured by an evil maniac you make a bunch of sex jokes oh absolutely yeah every single time It, it really helps uh lighten the tension in the situation and you know what she I don't know how her performance is very bad. It's very bad. I, I don't know how you would give a good performance no, in this context. Me like neither, I'm not but... going to I'm not going to blame it. This is incidentally the last thing she did. Uh, she she kind of she doesn't have any uh, IMDb credits after 1999. Uh, I don't know what she's doing now, but yeah, hopefully living off some Baywatch. Let's get her on, let's get her on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, all right, so for gameplay-wise, the developers took a lot of the feedback that they received from the last game, and they really implemented it to their credit. Like, yeah. I think they were listening, and they made a conscious effort to fix a lot of the things that were wrong with the first game. Uh, for one, the confusing three-variety of collectibles mechanic, that's gone. You now yeah, just, you're just only collecting flies. Just flies, just these silver Which, fly tokens. You just grab them and move on with your life. You collect 100 Though for what level. it's worth, I, do, I did kind of miss having the items tuned to the level. Like, yeah. I think that having the three different things was weird, but, like, it would still be nice, like, in the holiday level to collect candy canes or something. Sure, yeah, but just keep it one. Keep it consistent yeah. and, and have it make sense. Uh, so, now, yeah, now you just collect 100 bugs per level. You earn a remote. Uh, the levels have a little more variety. I like that Gex changes costumes in ev- whenever he's in a new environment. That's a nice it, little Didn't touch. he do that? He does that in Enter the Gecko, doesn't he? I don't think so. Because he was okay. uh, he was wearing the same thing in the screen level and the tune level. I think occasionally he gets different costumes, but here it's very clear. Like he gets very different costumes every time, uh, and you can find upgrades to your suits in certain levels. So like in the uh, there's a there's a Sherlock Holmes level, 
And eventually you find like a little hidden machine behind a bookshelf and that turns you into a vampire because Sherlock Holmes is a vampire, I guess. Sure. Uh, Either way, it was cool. He turns into an all white gecko with a cape and it lets you glide uh, for short distances. So you can find these little suits and little upgrades to things. There's also um, emphasis on like mini games and variety of you know, plays and enter the gecko is just like get through the level basically yeah. is where you would find or like get these five pickups or beat this boss here. Um, there's lots of mini games in the levels like the Sherlock Holmes one mm. part of it. You'll like pick up these magnifying glasses that are on the ground and you'll look at like a pool table. Yeah. And then you'll get sucked into this mini game there where you have to tail whack five, you know, pool balls. Yeah. They're kind of all basically like. Is does not have the gameplay variety of like a Banjo Tooie or a Mar- uh, Donkey Kong sixty four, no. but that's clearly what they're going for. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's appreciated. No, definitely. I think this one in general feels more like a rare platformer than uh, than Mario sixty four. I, I think uh, the environments are a little more dense, and there's kind of a little bit more going on with the characters. There's mm-hmm. less fog. There's more darkness, but there's less fog. I I don't know why the darkness yes. doesn't bother me as much as the fog does. Um, yeah, it's a much it's a much better looking game, and there's more of a sense of like the space that you are. Like one of the things I really didn't like about Enter the Gecko was you would just kind of go through like a doorway, and then you'd just be at a totally different part of the level. Yeah, and there was no sense of like how is this laid out? Because then I feel like if you got lost, you'd just be screwed. Yeah, like, I mean they're super linear, so that wasn't really a problem. But there's just kind of a nonsensical level layout in like in Gex 3, it made a lot more sense. Definitely. Uh, the camera is vastly, vastly improved in this game. It's still not yes. very good. Uh, you still are going to be fighting it for quite a bit, but it's functional now and it's not going to make you sick. I mean, it didn't make me sick. Did it make you sick? No, it did, no, it did not make me sick. That's a, I mean, yeah. I was pretty burned out on Gex by the time I started playing this one. Yeah. So I didn't quite play it. You know, it is a much better game, but I did not play it as much as the earlier one. Yeah. Um, just... Um, I, but I yeah, the camera one, was a lot better. I played this one quite a bit more, and I did go back. Like I played this one for a while, and then I went back and played sixty four again, just to kind of compare and contrast. And it's like, yeah, this is this is light years better uh, than Gex sixty four. It's just so much more polished. I still, it's in, yeah, it's it's interesting, just like the difference of like because it's such a comparable looking game, like on the surface, yeah. Like, the structure is almost identical. Gex, Gex is still sounds the same. I think he talks less in uh, in 3. Yeah, Like, I, he slightly. didn't seem to be quipping as much. Maybe there's more variety of quips. I don't know. Yeah. But I didn't find it as, as irritating. Uh, sometimes the... I don't know. It's just odd because they look very similar. The structure is the same. And, like, it seems like a very lazy sequel. Yeah. But there's all these kind of little things there where you're like, oh... I really appreciate that they fixed this, and it just makes it such a more pleasant game. Yeah, you it's, can you can feel the thought and the effort. Like you can you can see that they've taken this criticism in stride, and they're they're going for, it and they're trying to make it better. And it's it's still not great. It's still not great. No. I, you know, there there are, there are some vehicular stages in every level uh, that I found annoying, especially the snowboard. Uh, there's you, you have to like. To get a remote, you have to go around and whack these five elves while on your snowboard, and mm. it is goddamn impossible because, I like, I'm I'm like touching them, I'm like right up next to them, and I'm I'm hitting the button and hitting the button, and nothing's happening because they're constantly moving. So you're just like chasing this elf in a circle for like 30, 45 seconds, trying to hit him five times to knock him down, 
and it, it's wildly annoying. Uh, yeah, Gex still drives me crazy. He's still very <laughs> irritating, uh, constantly doing voices. That's the weird thing about, like, Dana Gould's voice work on this is he's doing so many impressions. Like, I couldn't really pin down what Gex himself actually yeah. sounds like. Yeah, like I think that's he's... a good. Like I think that Dana Gould's delivery is pretty consistently good and like funny. Yeah, like he says these lines in a way that is funny, but yeah, there's no sense that they're coming out of the same character at all. Yeah, there's no real consistent. I I I guess like he kind of sounds like Chandler from Friends, like a little bit smarmy, like normal guy. But I don't know. He, it doesn't really come across very often because even when his girlfriend is complaining about being kidnapped, he's making stupid voices and jokes. Uh, you know, I, there there's some decent level variety here. I did like there's an army world, and right off the bat, you uh, you get behind a Gatling gun and you have to take out all these uh, spotlights, and then you have to avoid landmines. And uh, yeah, there's all these walking grenades that are coming up and trying to kill you. And there's some clever stuff here, and it's fairly well integrated into the level design. Um, I, I I I think a lot of my frustrations were just having to listen to it and uh, <laughs> having to try and deal with that camera because it is still shaky. It doesn't really keep up with you. Uh, there's a lot more detail in the level, but it's not really something I necessarily wanted because most of the details you see are just more bad jokes. Yeah. Like there's one in the Egypt level. It's like, it's just one tile in the side of a pyramid and it's supposed to be like an ad or a billboard. And the ad is for Dr. Paul A. Abdul, and he's a chiropractor, like Egypt chiropractor. And, and here I'm thinking, like, okay, wait, is Paula Abdul Egyptian? Like, what? Is, what right, are we like just taking one, one a name of, that sounds vaguely Middle Eastern and and calling it a day here? What's going on? Like, what's the yeah, joke? Uh, dissect this joke for much, me. There's just they're they're running on too many different angles. Because I feel like if you just went by a building that just said chiropractor, yeah. you'd, you'd kind of chuckle and be like, that's a dumb joke, but whatever. Or it, or one that like, it was like Paul A. Abdul, L. you know, MMD or something. Yeah. You're like, okay, I get that. That's also just a reference. But to like jam both of them together, you kind of just end up overthinking it. Yeah. And it's the same thing of like, you're turning into a vampire in the Sherlock Holmes level. Yeah. And you're like, what's what's going on here? Yeah, are we just uh, vaguely the same time period as Dracula and and Sherlock Holmes? Is that the joke? I guess I I don't really understand what the joke there is, but like it it almost feels and which, like which pop star's pants do we feel that we are trapped in? You know, like uh, uh, Boy George mostly, right? Yeah. Do you mo think mostly? You, yeah, I feel like I was trapped mostly in Boy George's pants. <laughs> yeah. But like I, I feel like uh, they had a notebook from the writing table at the Simpsons of like first drafts, you know, or like like brainstorming jokes that didn't quite work. And then they just kept that notebook and tossed them all in this game, like without yep. revision. Uh, and that's irritating well, and, and that's the bones here are solid. Yeah, but that's the sense is like most games don't really attempt to be funny. No. Like period. And so I think a lot of games that did attempt to be funny kind of took that as enough. They're like, we're just going to be quote unquote a funny game. Yeah by ha saying goofy things, but, like, they're not going to put effort into making those things well-written. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, they just... There's a very tossed-off quality to the writing of all this, and it's like, we know these are talented, funny people. Like, these are people... Like, these are people that are still in the industry. Like, for 50 years, it's really hard to stay relevant and stay in the comedy industry for this long. And... It, this just all feels like B material or D material at best, you know? It's just yeah. kind of throwing stuff out. 
Um, and the, yeah. the, the mixing is all, this is very minor, but oh, the yeah. mixing also I noticed was very weird. There was multiple times in the game where like two characters seem to be talking at once. Like Alfred would be giving me instructions on what to do mm. and then Gex would be making a comment and the music would be playing. Yeah. And I couldn't really tell what was going on. It was really bad with Alfred, I noticed. Like anytime he's, because he's the one trying to give you instruction. And I think that the issue is like, normally when you come up to a guy like, who's going to give you a mission. You come up, you press B, you talk to him or something like that. And then you get like a little minor cutscene where like everything kind of freezes so he can tell you what you need to do. And you don't get that here. He's just giving you instructions while all the other chaos is still going on. So it's it's just kind of a cacophony. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I didn't hate Gex 3. I think it, it is, it's especially like, I think if you are going to play these games, I think play them back to back because I think you can really, really see the difference in quality between the two well, of them. The, the other thing is you, th- there's a real line of thought you have to go through before you get to playing these games. Because one... Play the if you want to play Gex, play the first Gex because yeah. it's better than these. Yeah. Two, um, if you want to play like a 3D platformer, play many of the other 3D platformers on the N64. There's so many better ones. Yeah. There's so many better ones. Three, if you want to play Gex 3D platformers, play them on the PS1. Yeah. Because both of these are much better on the PS1. Um, so if you've checked off all of those things. And you still decide that that if you're like, okay, I've done all those, or I only have an N64 because I can't spend the $10 on PS1, um, then I guess go ahead and play these games. But that's a lot to get to this point. I I would recommend that option. Or I guess four if you have a Nintendo 64 podcast. Yeah. Or if you do, get off our turf. Yeah. Come on. Back off. Muggsy, Knuckles, get over there. Rough them up. Yeah. Trap that guy in Boy George's pants. Yeah. That'll learn him. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, this is really a game only for the N64 completists. I think that's that's the only way you're ever going to come across this. Uh, a little bit about the future of Gex. Gex 3 was the last time we saw the character officially. Uh, Crystal Dynamics was bought by Eidos in 1998, which itself was acquired by Square, Square Enix in 2009. Uh, but in 2015, Square launched their collective initiative, Uh, where they put out an open call to indie developers to kind of pitch sequels to some of their neglected franchises. Uh, So Fear Effect was one of them, Anachronox was another one, and then Gex was the third. Um, So the idea was kind of similar to what Vivendi Universal did a couple years ago with Turok, which is uh, Mm -hmm. you you pitch an idea, take this series that hasn't really been touched in a while, give us a new spin on it, and if we like it, we'll buy it and we'll sell it. Um, Mm. And I don't think anything ever materialized from any of these. Uh, I'm not sure if somebody brought forward a Gex or not, but they didn't buy it. I don't know what Gex would look like now. Like, if you were to make a new Gex game, I don't quite know the even the gameplay style or, or the aesthetic. I imagine since it would be an indie game, you'd probably want to go back to the 2D thing. Yeah. And, you know, this sort of quippy TV referential is such a part of Gex's humor. It, it, maybe you make it like maybe you make it like a adventure game, like a point and click adventure game of journeying through these different areas. Because then you're interacting with other characters, and Gex's personality can actually s- shown through more. Because I, I feel like most of the humor needs to come. This game tries to get all its humor from Gex just saying random shit. Yeah, exactly. And what it needs to do is get its humor from like creative worlds and level designs. And it just doesn't do that. So I feel like that would have to be 
the emphasis on a newer Dex game. And I would push it even further and say we should take a, a similar tack to the, the one I suggested when we talked about Duke Nukem and how he could possibly make that work. And that's that the character is completely lame, completely trapped in their own time, like a total joke to everybody. And uh, and that's kind of the source of the humor there is that you have this yeah. lizard walking around still making references to Gilligan's Island and, and, <laughs> and Boy George's pants. And everyone else just doesn't get it or doesn't think it's funny. I, I, I like that. Um, well, that is awesome. That is it for Gex. We got a bunch of letters this week, uh, and most of them pretty short, so I'll go through them pretty quickly here. Our Dear Steve and Woody, if you could be trapped in any pop star's pants, <laughs> who would it be? Uh, Lady Gaga. Um, anyway, hey, guys, and potential guest, uh, I nope. wanted to share with you a brief story about Body Harvest. Hopefully this email finds you before your next episode. Well, it, it did and it didn't. I mean, there's always a next episode. Uh, well, that's the magic of emails. It gets there pretty fast. Yeah. Growing up, I was aware of video games, but never really desired to own a console, content with playing the occasional Super NES or Genesis game at a friend's house. This all changed one day when, while waiting for an orthodontist appointment, I picked up an issue of Nintendo Power. Yes, my orthodontist had Nintendo Powers, amongst the other waiting room magazines. Cool orthodontist. Yeah. Mine always just had highlights. Right, right. Right next to the copy of Jugs. <laughs> uh, it was issue 85, featuring a cover story about Super Mario 64, which at the time did not hold my attention. The game preview okay. inside that really made an impact on me was Body Harvest. Giant alien bugs with technological weapon attachments, over 130 vehicles to drive around, or so the article claimed. Exploring yep. different time periods in different countries, this sounded like the biggest, most totally rad game ever. I asked and was allowed to keep the issue and have it to this day, though it's well-worn and being held together with tape. Again, cool orthodontist. Uh, As was the case with most N64 games, it was met with delays, and I lost track of it as I became obsessed with Nintendo's first-party offerings, thanks to my brand-new Nintendo Power subscription. I finally did get it years later in college, but I recall the game fog making it difficult to play, and I don't know if I ever even beat the first major boss. Nope. I can't deny. You probably did. You probably didn't. I can't deny the place it holds in my heart, though, for being the spark that ignited my now burning desire for anything Nintendo. Thanks for a very entertaining podcast. I'm looking forward to the Kirby 64 episode. Be sure to look up the mystery surrounding that game's director. Ooh, ooh, I like that. And that's from Kaylin Knowles. Thank you, Kaylin. That's an awesome story. I really like that. Do you have any games, Steve, that like you have very vivid memories of, like a magazine article about, but you don't have vivid memories of the game itself? I well, I I do, but I I also know it's because it was, the game was canceled in the U.S. But there was a uh, N64 exclusive coming out called Air Cars or something like that. Like it, it was okay, uh, but but it looked like that's a terrible name, especially because it was like about like flying hoverboards like you it wasn't about air cars it was about like hoverboards so i think it was a translation issue but uh it never actually came out here in the u.s but i remember seeing that and thinking like holy shit you can like fly over the golden gate bridge that that sounds really fun like i don't know i'd I'd be into this kind of like racing game i remember um i was had gotten a bunch of old nintendo powers and like i was reading a description of this felix the cat game for nes yeah and somehow it just seemed like the coolest game of like being able to reach into this bag of tricks and pull out a bunch of different different items and weapons i'm like this looks really fun yeah and then i finally got it later and i'm like oh it's just it's a shitty nes platform it's just fine yeah it's it's not even yeah yeah well that's an awesome letter kayla thank you uh all right our next one hey all i have an idea for your next podcast it's called ultra nes it's a 714 episode podcast that comprehensively discusses every nes game ever just kidding that sounds awful and that's from chris (laughs) 
Okay. So <laughs> he really he really zigged zigged and zagged he, there he at the end. He zigged on us. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, why does it sound awful? Why does it sound more awful than what we're doing now? Yeah, I mean, I think just, I just, imagine we would bundle, you know, like uh, with the football games or all one episode or, or something like that. Yeah, so it wouldn't be like one entire episode where we have to talk about Othello, the board game, you know. Anyway. Um, the What's up? Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, the uh, they'd be very short episodes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about the Felix the Cat NES. Game. Oh, I can't wait for that one. All right, next one. Uh, good afternoon. I have well, it's it is afternoon, so that that's well done. Uh, I have just found your podcast and I've been listening over the past couple of days. I looked through your entire list to see if you had played Turok Rage Wars, which was my favorite game growing up. I am sad to see you have not yet played it for the podcast, but I'm excited to hear it in the future. Uh, part of the reason I love Turok Rage Wars so much came from my memory card failing all the time and making re <laughs> replay the character's story over and over again. My question would, to, would be, uh, did you guys have trouble with your memory cards failing back in the day? And if so, did that also inadvertently add to the fun of the game? Uh, you guys have been keeping my spirits up during this darkest timeline. Thanks for reading. And that is from Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, That's awesome. Peter. Um, I just like to say, Turok Rage Wars is sweet, and I am also excited to play yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's so. that's one uh, we've been postponing because we need to have people in the room for that one. Yeah, it's it is a, very a much a multiplayer focus. Yeah, game. Uh, I've never played it. I'm excited to I'm excited to check it out. Um, as far as games with memory cards failing, I haven't had too many issues with memory with Nintendo 64 memory cards failing. Uh, I do have the issue of them filling up too quickly, and I'm not able to save yeah. my game. Uh, I did. I've, I've, I've told this story before, but I, I've gotten to the very final bosses in two different NES games, uh, Super Mario RPG and Earthbound, and both of the memory cards failed when I jostled my system and I lost Oof. my games. So it took it was years before I went back and replayed them and got to the boss. Yeah, pretty bad. And then when I first bought a PS2, I only had enough money for either a game or a memory card, so I bought a game. It was Silent Hill 2. And uh, I I had to keep playing and replaying the first couple of hours of that game because I was too nervous to leave my PS2 on all night. <laughs> I heard it would start a fire, uh, <laughs> which it might have. I don't know. Uh, so it was a, quite a while before I could get a memory card. But, like, I'm very, very intimately familiar with the first, like, three hours of Silent Hill 2 and then have vaguely vague, fuzzy memories of the rest of the game. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I've never heard of... I have never had an experience with some data being erased, making my experience with something better. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that that has that has applied. My main memory is of renting the Shadowgate game for N64 oh, yeah. and being just baffled by it telling me I needed a memory card because most every N64 game I had up to that point hadn't required a memory card. Well, most most like first party Nintendo ones just had internal memory, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. So it was like insert memory card, and I took it back to the video rental place. I'm like, I, it says I need a memory card. And this was just an old lady working there. And she's like, eh. <laughs> and so I, you know, lost my data in Shadowgate and then decided I didn't like that game anyway. Yeah. So it didn't matter. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, thank you, Peter. That's a good letter. Uh, we have one other one here. Hey, Steve Woody and guest. Uh, and this is going to resolve something that we talked about last week. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to read my note on the podcast and doing it with such gusto. 
Since you asked, Woody, I'll tell you what I was referencing. Oh, yeah, thank you. The text was heavily cribbed from the tea break scene in Earthbound, when the game breaks the fourth wall to give the players some words of encouragement. Since you okay. had recently covered Mother 3, Earthbound 64, and Ganbare Goemon, I thought it would be a fun way to reach out. Looking forward to the next listen. That's from Tom from New Jersey. Thank you so much for settling that, Tom. I, I was racking my brain. I don't know why I kept going to Blade Runner. I think something about the cadence just made me think it was from Blade Runner. It was how you read it. You were really decor decorating it up. Yeah, no, I was trying to. Yeah, so thank you yeah, for clearing no. that. actually would have driven me crazy if I if I didn't have some resolution to that. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think you and I are sort of, we're not like giant Earthbound fanboys. No, no. Like, I, I, I just think that there's some people who it's like really sort of ingrained and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I know all these Earthbound references. And I, they're RPG that I really enjoy. But oh, yeah, I, I played quite, it. quite have that level yet. I played it and I loved it, but I definitely don't have an uh, encyclopedic knowledge of it. Uh, for our next letter here, howdy, Steve. Hey, Woody. Oh, he flipped Hello. it. Uh, after oh, it usually goes the other way. After listening to your Doom 64 episode, you mentioned the Doom clone Chex Quest. I just wanted to inform you that it's getting an HD remake, which confounds me. I know me. this. <laughs> and a small correction. In one of your episodes, you said that one of the only Mario genres Mario hasn't been in is a first-person shooter. And this isn't totally true. There was an obscure SNES game called Yoshi's Safari, which used the Super oh. Scope and has you riding on Yoshi. And there are also first-person shooter sections in Captain Toad. Keep on keeping um, on. That's from Isaac. Thank you, Isaac. Um, I know about Yoshi's Safari. I own Yoshi's Safari and a Super Scope. Steve, we're going to play it. Yeah. New podcast. We're playing Yoshi's Safari, and we're playing with my Sega Activator. Oh, yes. When, uh, I have never used a Super Scope. I've never found one that works. So Yeah, yeah it's kind of awkward to use, yeah. but that game seems very cool because one person controls Yoshi and the other person shoots around with Mario. I also, as someone who's an aficionado of light gun games, I will say I don't consider light gun games to be first-person shooters. Okay, yeah, they're kind of a different but, deal. I think if you can see the gun on screen, it's more of a first-person shooter, and if not, it's like kind of a gallery shooter. Though I, I do think, now I'm thinking back, there might be a Mario Party mini game that's a first-person shooter. I kind of have a vague recollection That could of this. be, that could be. Um, all right, our next letter. This is going to clear up uh, a lot of the questions. Oh, we, do we should we do we have anything to say about Chex Quest? Oh, aside from that, it's sweet that Chex Quest is getting a remake. You can I'm in, I'm I downloaded it. it. It ran fine on my computer. It's yeah, I was surprised. Chex Quest three but, came out not too long ago, which is just using the original Doom engine. Uh, I played that for a little bit. It's still it's still fun. Like they're they're really goofy, but they're really fun. They're they're better than any kind of game based on serial should be. Uh, I I wish they should put. Checks Quest in checks boxes again. Yeah, like, totally. In like a like on a really small like SD card or like a half a gig flash drive or something. Yeah, that just sort of installs it and you know runs an extra dollar for your serial. I bet. I would, actually. I would buy checks again. There's plenty of there's plenty of nostalgia that you could you would sell a box just based on that easy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. I, I would I would buy checks again. I've been on a weird raisin brand kick because I'm old and I need to watch my heart or whatever. Uh, so yeah, this would get me back on checks. So do it. Do it. Whoever makes checks, General Mills probably. All right. We have another letter. Uh, hi, Stephen Woody and guest? Question mark. And you're reading all. We're not going to have any. Uh, we're not going to have any letters for the rest of the podcast. Oh, that's, you're blowing them all now. That's up to y'all out there. Right in Ultra Sixty Four Podcast at Gmail .com. We love hearing from you. Uh, I was listening to your Body Harvest episode, and you made some. Uh, you guys made some note of the somewhat weak audio in many N64 games. A lot of this comes down to the fact that unlike almost every other game system, the N64 does not have a dedicated sound processor. 
Oh. Music and sound effects can be generated by either the CPU or the coprocessor. Both of these are quite fast and very much capable of doing the job, but those chips are also involved in all the graphics and game logic. So when the games were trying to get the highest graphical fidelity or trying to run four players at once, sometimes that required making cuts elsewhere in the game, and music tended to be the easiest target. Keeping this in mind, it makes it all the more impressive when games like Banjo-Kazooie are able to really knock it out of the park on both the music and the graphics. Anyway, love the podcast and listen to every episode. Keep up the great work, and that is from Brad. Thank awesome. you, Brad. That's that is very really useful piece of information. No, that's really good. I, I really don't know much about the inner workings uh, or the technical side of the N64, so I love hearing that. That's pretty great. And that definitely makes a lot of sense as to why the, the music would be cut in like a four-player yeah. thing. And we've got one last very brief one I um, just want to include here. Uh, I actually think this would be kind of repetitive if this was the whole show, but I would say a uh, monthly or every two-month episode dedicated to the oddity you've stumbled upon of Game Boy and Game Boy Color demakes of games of, yes. uh, would be an interesting topic. I feel like every third N64 game has one of these. Maybe just go back and slowly play the ones based on games you've covered through a more widely known version of. Just a thought. That's from John. I like that idea, John. I think that's yeah. really fun. Well, I'll tell you right now, John, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm just I'm declaring it now, Steve. This is going to be a bonus 64 Patreon episode. I am 100% is, on board. We're going to go play some of these Game Boy Advance games. Because who knows? Maybe, maybe the Gex Game Boy Advance game is great. It looks pretty good. I guess Game Boy Color. Yeah, it looks fun. These are all Game Boy Colors, which are really. There's a really demake. Yeah. This is essentially you're taking a 3D action game and putting it into something like that uh, you know is a couple clicks up from the NES in terms of yeah. graphics. I, it's a really great idea and I think I think I definitely want to dig into that on, on the Patreon as well. That's patreon.com slash ultra 64 pod uh, and that's all the letters this week. So thank you everybody for writing in so much. Uh, a lot of these were held over from last week as well so uh, thank you for your patience if you didn't hear it last week. Uh, and thank you for listening. We are Ultra 64. Wait, we're not done, Steve. Oh, what are we not done doing? We, we didn't we didn't rate these games. Oh, we I didn't rate this these about games. Half, halfway through oh, the letter segment. So you're, you're totally right. I don't know where my head is right now. Yes. We were so excited about the cavalcade of letters. I was very excited about the cavalcade of letters. I just, just sitting there listening to you reading letters, feeling trapped in Boy George's pants. Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody has to do a shot every time you make that reference now. I'm, I'm, okay. uh, I'm announcing that rule Uh after the fact. All right, do you want to start us off with your rankings? Uh, sure. I should have thought of this better. Um, <laughs> the the first game, Gex 64, was, is, is a rough play. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that it shoots... I think that Gex at its best shoots for a level of mediocrity, like yeah. B-grade, and the sort of technical aspects of this game, like the frame rate, the bad camera, the huge lack of quips, really hold it back. Um, so I'm putting it at number... 137 which is right behind Glover. Okay. Um Gex 3 was a significant step up. Um I'm going to put it at number 93 which is uh right ahead of Clay Fighter 63 and a third. I have like a iris uh cartoony corner there with uh Gex Clay Fighter and Earthworm Jim. Yeah, yeah. And then Glover would actually kind of fit into that uh cartoony realm as well. Well, I'm not moving Glover up if that's what you're implying. Move him up. You, He's a hero. You, no. You, know, you keep trying this Glover conspiracy to get Glover as the best game on N64. <laughs> I know that's the only reason you started this podcast. Yeah, no, I was <laughs> the Glover. I, I started this podcast to be a Glover fan podcast having never played the game and then I played it and I'm like, "Oh, I don't really like this all that much." <laughs> Yeah. So that backfired. Um, for me, uh, you know, like 
Gex 64 is pretty bad. Like I said, it's not the worst game on the system, but it does have one of the distinctions of being the one of the games that made me physically ill and made you physically ill. And I think that needs to be taken into account a little bit. Uh, so it's going pretty low for me. It's going at number 215. That's under Batman Ooh. Beyond. Um, yeah, that is very low. It's very low, and I think it's uh, accurate for me. Uh, that being said, Gex 3, big step up, uh, while still being a rather mediocre game. Um, but yeah, still still a big step up. I am going to put it at number 133, and that's just above Disney's Tarzan. So it's kind of just above the line of demarcation of, like, okay games. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and I, I stand by that. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's that's if, fine. if somebody challenged you in a court of law, this wouldn't hold up. I might I might shift things around. This you know I don't. Is that one of the levels in Gex like the legal drama, like where he gets into the? That's another um, thing I wanted to bring up. Like like all of these levels are supposed to be like TV themed or something, but it's all like when have you watched a show with like uh, mummies like in ancient Egypt? When have you watched a show like set in a haunted house? Like where are your cop shows? Where are your lawyer shows? It, where are your medical shows? You know. Where's the surgery gone wrong level? Yeah, do it. Do the do the episode of Grey's Anatomy where the guy has a bomb in his stomach or something. Like, do that. The re the real house the house flipper level. Do a reality real show level. Gex. Oh my god, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, that there I you mean, go. We're writing the new Gex game right now. Make all these T yeah, levels actually based on TV shows. Yeah, actually, I do think that would be the secret, and that is maybe something that the third game loses. Is the first one has a bunch of very obvious TV parodies. Yeah. Whereas the second one is kind of vaguer. They just seem like more. They're just Banjo-Kazooie Video levels. game tropes. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you're right. I think that that is sort of what Gex needs is to really make pointed fun of the shittiness that is the TV landscape now. Exactly. Yeah, that's the way it actually works. Anyway, last minute uh, fix of Gex. Uh, well, what, one more thing. Yeah. Since we're talking about last minute random shit. I've been watching. Um, I find that watching television that has commercials is actually kind of comforting like to hear those commercials yeah but the commercials that are on tv suck so much because oh they're all about like now is about a time of being together <laughs> and so i just i want to like tv with old commercials yes that are like trying to sell me toys because i've just been watching popeye cartoons somehow when i put on like an on-demand thing like when I choose to watch something on Netflix, I feel guilty if I don't pay attention to it. Like I'm like, oh, I called this up and now I'm not paying attention to it. But if I just have like TV playing, yeah, I, I'm like, it's going to play whether I watch it or not. So I'm not going to feel bad. Yeah. And same, anyway, same. Just, no, I, 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 I agree. Those have been driving me nuts. It's all just like, hey, we're all in this together. We're all facing the hardest time of our lives. But Pez is here for you. Like, <laughs> what do I give a fuck, Pez? Go, go away. I don't care. Like, anyway, uh, next week. All right, so next week uh, here in our county in Washington, we are still technically in phase one of quarantine. I don't That's... know if what other people know what that means, Steve. I don't know if all everyone is using phases. Oh, yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, but technically, It, it means not... we still can't hang out. With we still other. can't hang out. That's supposed to end this week. That's that's the the forecast that's supposed to end next this week. So we might be back together in person for the next episode. If that's the case, we're going to be uh, playing a couple of car combat, horrible, bloody racing games, Road Rash sixty four, Scars. That's an acronym, and Carmageddon sixty four. So look forward to that. If we if if there's nothing else that makes this coronavirus want to just disappear, it should be wanting us to get back together to play these games because everyone yeah. wants it. 
obviously. Everyone wants it. Everyone Most of all it. us. Yeah, we definitely want yeah. to play Carmageddon. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if anything goes wrong, we may uh, we may mix up the order again. But uh, uh, tentatively, right now, we're planning to be in person again for the next episode, and we're playing some racing games. Nice. All right, everybody. Uh, well, I don't know. What are you going to do? What are you going to go hang out somewhere? Or uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like maybe uh, maybe I'll go get trapped in Boy George's pants. Whoa, Whoa. wacky wacky baby. Yeah. All right, everybody. I'm going to go take a pill now because. My- <laughs>